0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cricket with an Accent. Yeah, we we have a special guest today. It doesn't really happen on this podcast that we engage in conversation with a professional cricket player. And uh, guess what? Due to a, a good friend of mine, Sai uh, Thomala, we have his cousin who's actually played for the Black Caps. Yes, New Zealand cricket team, uh, Tarun Nethula, has agreed to come on the show. And we are recording this on... a. Saturday evening in Massachusetts and early Sunday in New Zealand. So, on that note, let me bring my guest. Hey, Tharun, how are you?
1: I'm good. Uh, I'm very good. Thank you for having
0: me. Now, I've been uh, I've been meaning to have you since the World Cup days, but you know, my tennis podcast is slightly more active, and I have a day job and cricket podcast. I'm really trying to bring up to the same level uh, as tennis, and I, you know, you were one of the guests I know that could, you know, that could be. Uh, because of our connection there could be a guest who can help us take it to a different level and i'm so glad that uh, we finally have this conversation today so sure. a s- standard question i throw all my guests uh, you know you're a professional cricket player journey started in india so how did you get into cricket that's uh, you know that's what i want to know and what were your early you know role models and you know uh, who do you look up to because uh, my generation i'm slightly older i i was watching a lot of tv and i watched the couple dave team so, over to you. What what made you take up cricket?
1: Um, so, we obviously, like, as you kind of touched on, my parents are both from India. Um, they're from Hyderabad. Well, yeah, we grew up there. I, um, As you mentioned, my cousin Malik. Um, I call him Malik because Sai seems to be a middle name for pretty much everybody in my family.
0: Yeah, I, I realized that after looking, you know, the profile and say, okay, there's something common. But in New- Massachusetts, New Hampshire, he's known as Sai. But yeah, the guy has many names. So yeah,
1: literally, go. like I can't, I can't bring myself to calling him Sai because I'm like, that's not your name. But uh, yeah, so we um, we're born six months apart. Obviously, he is the is um, my dad's sister's son, six months apart. So we were quite close from a young age, and together we actually fell in love with cricket at the same time. And which was roughly, I really want to say, 92, around that time. Now maybe, yeah, 91, 92, um, before the 92 World Cup. Because I remember very well um, the two of us um, wagging the first game, um, wagging from school, pretty, um, I think pulling in a sickie, um, the first game of the World Cup where India played England. And we stayed home and watched it. It was obviously colour clothing and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah.
0: that was the first World Cup with colour clothing. The game was at the Perth WACA. I remember Dermot Reeve getting Azruddin on a beauty. You know, he bowled a fast, uh, medium pace. I mean, he he got him out. That was one of the best balls. Gooch Mm. was the captain. So, carry on. Yeah, a lot of nostalgia on my end too
1: because… Yeah, because I I still (laughs) remember that. My recollection of that game was sitting there going… Why is Ravi Shastri not scoring or making an effort to go try and chase this game? I think he's faced about 110 odd balls to get 56 or 57, something along those lines. And it just, yeah, it was very dull game of cricket. But the, the colour and the fanfare and all that really added to what was already brewing for me and Malik as um, our young kids. We From there on, we... He'd spend a lot of time with us because um, both our grandparents lived with us, which meant we saw each other a lot. We used to play what we called 11 times. So we'd pretty much open the gates up of our house and put a stone on one side, I don't know, like a plastic board or something, our stumps on the other side, and we'd have a toss, and we'd basically pick teams, pick a country, and you get to bat 11 times before the other guy gets to bat. And we did that religiously. From the time that he'd arrived to the time he'd have to go back to his house. And that's how my cricketing journey started.
0: And so you uh, was it always leg spin or did you want to be bat do you want to bat like Lakshman or Tendulkar or Azhar or, or, or was it always bowling?
1: Um I tried I tried a few things. It was always leg spin the well If you went to a cricket camp in India, you would know you don't have much of a choice. It's almost quite a military-style based system. First thing they teach you is fitness, discipline, um, and doing as you're told. Uh, And we probably got the bat first, like how to to hold a bat was primarily it. And then about 30 of us would line up with about three balls in between 30 of us, and you get one ball each, and you go to the back of the line, back of the line. And the first time I got the bowl, I remember really well. Um, I just bowled with a certain action, and it just spun. And the coach said, "Oh, did you do that on purpose?" I said, "No, nah. I just bowled." He said, "Oh, I'll do it again." So I basically got to bowl two balls in a in a row. And they said, "Oh, you should try bowling leg spin." But the beauty of playing with Malik and playing at home was because we chose teams right we chose teams and the rules we had we had our own extravagant rules so we'd say if you choose to bowl as javagor Srinath, you have to try and replicate his action you have to bowl the way he bowls if you're now if you then have two overs you bring on another spinner and it happens to be cum then you have to bowl with that action so we um, implicitly taught ourselves a variety of skill sets without actually somebody coaching us that whatever we saw or believed was happening we tried to replicate it so we kind of picked up little tools without really being coached
0: it's interesting you say that i guess it's in our dna i'm you know maybe a few thousand miles away in delhi i'm, I'm, I'm your senior we were doing the same thing we had our own atp tour within school and everybody's trying to mimic the becker even he said and even in cricket bunch of us yeah. in that era were trying to bowl like Craig McDermott. I mean, I don't even know if we were even successfully looking 10% of what his action was. But it's so funny, like you say these things. We were trying exactly the same thing, you know. Yeah. And, you know, more, even Merv Hughes, some of the guys would try a comical run-up. But McDermott was such a super hit. Of course, he was tormenting us. Uh, at the same time, you and Malik, uh, I mean, it's weird to me to call him Malik, but you and Sai were watching, uh, getting into the game. We, we were... Watching India, you know, absolutely getting hammered in that series, five tests, we lost four zero. Then in the world, uh, it used to be World Series of Cricket, with three, I mean, triangular tournament. India lost to Australia in the finals, and then the Was same. that the
1: eighty-seven one? Was that? Was that eighty-seven or seventy-eight?
0: No, this is Was a that- ninety-two. Leading preceding oh, 92. preceding the World Cup. Uh, oh yeah. You know, Azhar and his boys, you know, uh, were beaten pretty soundly. When Tendulkar scored yep. that magnificent hundred in in Perth, no, but yeah, it was there's not much to write home about, you know, losing those matches 4-0 and then getting killed, even in the color format. So again, yeah. uh, we, we'll see if this conversation. I'll try to not get carried away. We'll save this for another episode when you know we have a fan zone. But today, uh, so yeah, so you were starting. You said you got into leg spin, kind of uh, because the coach told you 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 know you can definitely spin the ball. Yeah, Is it?
1: bye. I wanted to feel the ball, so I tried to. I really wanted to be involved in the game, so I tried keeping. And then I soon realised, oh, there's only one keeper per team, so that's going to be very hard to make. Um, Then I was. I must have watched a beautiful spell of bowling from uh, Akib Javid. So I remember going to a little summer holiday clinic, and at that clinic, I told everyone I was a fast bowler, and I bowled like Akib Javid and I tried that for a couple of weeks. Again, wasn't for me. So, I then kind of stuck to kind of went, oh look, I started enjoying Lexpin more and more so I went back to Lexpin. and that's where it started from and then obviously so, I um, convinced my father so, to send me to a cricket camp.
0: So, was it a serious camp that, you know, this is something, you know, your dad was supporting, you, okay, just try it out or you were, again, you were still 12 but uh, how serious were you I mean at that point?
1: I was, like every cricketer, I mean every kid, you know, I thought, I believed I could play for India at the time. You know, I just, obviously, in and not knowing how, what the world is like, like oh, yeah, you know, I want to play for India. And I remember, um, me again, me and Malik sitting at the back of the dining room watching a game, and we're constantly talking, and one of my older cousins, who also now lives in Massachusetts, as it happens, turned around and said, oh, I don't know if you two idiots will become a cricket player, but you sure as hell will make a really good commentator because you can't stop talking. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we, we definitely were obsessed. I was obsessed with the game a lot more. Um, and um, so I, my dad my dad was very supportive, reluctantly, because my mum wasn't at all. She, and her response was, that's 11 in a billion. You're probably never going to make it. So don't bother. Um but my dad, I think he kind of allowed me to kinda, um, give it a go. And obviously life or this opportunity or the dream of playing international cricket becomes a lot more realistic when you're suddenly competing with 5 million as opposed to 1.5 billion. So we moved to New Zealand as through my parents' decision. And we came out here in 96, mid yeah, halfway through 96. And then, yeah, that just...
0: So, was there any cult- culture shock, I mean, or in a good way too, when you came from India and you still wanted to take cricket? I mean, uh, how was the the developmental stage of cricket different than, say, going back to your days in Hyderabad?
1: Oh, very different. Very, very different. I'm... Um, first thing, literally, we, we turned up, we rocked up with no real preparation. We had no family here. All our family lives in the States. Um, We have no reason or business to be living out here. My parents' work took them to Europe and Middle East. Never needed to be at this side of the world. Um, So when we came here, we knew very little. We was kind of throwing, you know, literally jumping in and seeing what happens. Um, My only, as soon as we landed here, I said, oh, look, it's September, can we find out when cricket starts? And we found a local cricket club and straight away I, I again pleaded with my dad to kind of put me into cricket club. I was very fortunate. The deputy principal at the school I was at was a mad cricket fan. So when my parents inquired about cricket, he kind of took me under his wing and um, put me into teams and helped us out a little bit. We never owned a car or anything. Yes, the transport was a struggle so was and, your
0: was your cricket identity established as a leg spinner was or was that still up in debate? you could be a bowler or i mean fast bowler or a batsman, or was that all settled when you came to new Zealand?
1: oh uh it was just i became uh that Indian kid who plays really good cricket and hmm. that's cool i became uh, if somebody had to go oh who are you talking about it was uh the cricket guy the cricket kid and there was yeah, I just happened to um be half decent at both. Like Lixbine, I was my, probably much better at Lixbine than I was at bedding at that time.
0: So where does cricket, cricket rank in terms of popularity in New Zealand? I know rugby is huge, but since your time to now, has cricket stayed constant as a second or third most popular sport or has it ascended in popularity?
1: Obviously, rugby is our national sport, but cricket... As far as I remember, is always the number one summer sport of the country.
0: Okay. So, let's yeah. go back to your uh- developmental days again. I carry on. I'm just throwing in, you know, questions here. But So, what was the next step? You know, you found a cricket school and uh, when did it start making sense? And when did you... I know you were serious. You wanted to play for India. So, how was it? Was it a different mindset? You know, I grew up idolizing Indian players and now you're in New Zealand and you want to play for New Zealand. Is Is that... I know a lot of players have gone through that. Maybe we see a lot of players playing in Australia Um, and New Zealand.
1: Because we went so young and this became home pretty quickly, like it became your adopted home with the opportunities you're given um, and stuff. So that, that transition, especially in your younger years when you don't see some of the challenges you are faced with till much later in your life, like till then you're you go, oh well, this is my country till somebody tells you it's not, or you know, you think you are, you know, uh, how would you put it, <laughs> you know, in a correct way? Yeah, you probably, you think. You no, think I know.
0: Yeah, look, I, I'm an immigrant too in U.S., but I think uh, the difference is cricket never really took off. Yeah, we have a lot of cricket here at at a uh, weekend level where there's, you know, state-wide league, but cricket is still seen as an international sport here. Like when people drive by, it's not a main sport. So luckily for you, you could, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, not that I was ever thinking of becoming a professional cricketer, uh, didn't have the talent or the mindset, but luckily for you, you had the opportunity. Had you moved somewhere in Europe, you would have taken a different sport unless it was England. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So. So, to be honest, we probably wouldn't even have moved anywhere else because I probably would have put my foot down and said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going there. There's no cricket there. When she, when my mom said, oh, we're going to New Zealand, I was like, oh, I know that name. They've, they have a cricket team. Okay, cool. Let's go.
0: So what, what, what was the roadmap like after that? You know, what were the next steps, you know, when you were reaching 96? What were the, you know, walk us through the evolution? When did you, uh, you know, when were you on the, on the path to playing for Black Caps eventually? So...
1: We moved in 96, and then we had a bit of a family tragedy, a tragedy where my mum passed away in 97. So, halfway through, so towards the end of 97, I returned back to India because obviously it was just me and my dad there in New Zealand. So, it was a family decision to kind of bring me back to my grandma, keep me there, and my dad left me with my grandma and went back to New Zealand for a year. So, I then ended up having doing my school C, which is your uh, 10th standard in India. I did my 10th in India, and as soon as that year finished, I said, right, I'm ready to come back. And I came back to New Zealand um, to do my Form 6, we called it, which is um, 10 plus 1. So I spent a year in India, and I think that was possibly the decisive year where there was a lot of um, well, a lot of um, conversation around what is the need for us to go back there. But I kind of when, okay, well, if I'm going to put my dad through it, I'm going to try and maximize it. And that's probably when I really set my mind to wanting to make the most of that opportunity of living overseas and not being stuck in India.
0: Hmm. So compared to India, I don't know who your contemporaries were, if you remember any, were you in the same era as Pragyan Oja? I mean, compared to that, it's kind of a, a bigger question I'm trying to pose here. Compared to, had you ended up, you know... Playing cricket in so
1: India. I played, I played Hyderabad under thirteen before we moved, and then my team was um, the biggest name to this day is um, Ambati Rider He was in my team.
0: Okay, so yeah, there you go. He he, he played for India. So uh, the second part of the question is: You think uh, growing up in New Zealand and was there like the urgency or the competitiveness? Again, you said you know you're competing with more than a billion people, and here you only one of like five or six million. So did you feel that urgency or or is that part of the laid back attitude that we see in New Zealand, you know? Uh, so elaborate more on that, you know, for a young uh, cricketer's path.
1: Yeah. So I had a, I got an interesting conversation last week with somebody on, on this theme who this gentleman is actually quite high up in one of the state associations in India. He was visiting here during the Indian tour to New Zealand. And, a lot of people think, oh, New Zealand—it's easy to make the team. There's hardly anyone that plays cricket there. Uh, it's easy, you know—they're not very technically correct, or what, you know, whatever um, uh, failings they, they like to kind of look at. But my big question I pose to most people is: New Zealand is actually very, very hard to make it because you have to be very intric- intrinsically motivated to make it. Because unlike India, we don't have cricket. Um, training opportunities from 7am to 10am and then you know your um, families don't own businesses or are very well set up that you can come home and just lay around the house go back out again start training at 3pm to 6pm there's a numerous amount of coaches that will just constantly throw balls at you it's constantly raining so you really have to as an individual a person really has to kind of find ways to train, stay on top of the game. Majority of the time you're training indoors, which is not necessarily the best thing for your training habits in terms of quality production. Um, To hire a net, it costs money. Most people here have a nine to five job and then they have to find training time beyond the nine to five job till they crack it to the professional level. So a lot, you really have to be diligent in your formative years, to actually give yourself half a chance?
0: No, I mean, uh, I, I didn't mean the, the question to come out in that way because a friend of mine, uh, who yeah. even Malik knows, we, were, we used to talk about, you know, just like a lot of cricket. And he once said, uh, New Zealand's population is less than that of Massachusetts, and look at the world class outfit they produce. And that, yeah. that kind of that, that thing stayed with me. And, and yeah. factually, fact, Massachusetts has 1.8 million more people than New Zealand, and New Zealand just almost won the cricket World Cup. And now with yeah. Bolt and the Williamsons, I mean, they have a lot of, lot of class players. So yeah, the question was more around the urgency, but you 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 put it up, uh, put it put this very well. Like there's a different kind of mindset that's needed to play for the Black Caps. So
1: yeah, to make it, I think if you do go back to that thing, New Zealand. I always say now, you know, I'm kind of past my playing days and I'm, I work in sports administration, I try and think from a high performance or from a coaching mindset. And I think where New Zealand is amazing in cricket is you, you remove the ego side of things and you go, hey, look, yes, you are much better than us or individually you're a fantastic cricketer, etc. But we don't actually have to be better than you. We just need to beat you on the day.
0: That's very simplistic, uh, and you know. Uh, no,
1: you are better than us one yeah. on one, probably better than us man or you know, um, eleven on eleven. But we don't we we get that. We agree with you. You know, we're not challenging you for that. We're just gonna take you as deep as we can and put you under pressure, and we just want to beat you on the day.
0: Okay, hold on to that thought. That, that's li- that's later in the show. I want to talk about the dress room and overall culture and off-the-field culture of, you know, the stardom or the so-called stardom in New Zealand. But let's talk about your Black caps debut. So it finally happened in 2012 uh, or 2011?
1: 2012, 2012,
0: So how big was that? I mean, uh, I know you played professional cricket. Uh, That's equivalent of domestic or county cricket. But uh, you were shaping up for that day. So how, how big of a moment was that? When that actually happened um, about the call?
1: I, things kind of happened pretty quickly. Like, it's... It's like a wedding day. Eh? It, um, you kind of look forward to it, it comes and goes and you don't even know what's just happened. Um, so it just all happened pretty quickly. It was, um, it was against Zimbabwe, it was at Whangarei, which is a small, uh, it's a town about three hours drive up from North of Auckland, which um, meant that um, my family and my dad's friends, et cetera, could actually travel up and watch. So my dad was there I think that was probably the only maybe that was the second time he came to watch me play cricket. Um and my girlfriend who's now my wife, she actually caught a bus to come up and um support me at the thing. So she actually took a bus um to come up. Um so it was really nice. We um everybody that supported me through my um journey was able to be present and to watch me play that game. I didn't we won quite easily. I didn't really do a lot. But again, it, was, it happened really quickly, and you know, before you could actually soak it up, you're kind of moving on to the next game and stuff.
0: You got Amla out too. I was just checking the stats in one of the international that was, scalps.
1: Yeah, that was the following one. So after Zimbabwe toured, um, I played a couple of games. The following game, I bowled, I bowled pretty well and um, got myself named into the South African series, and then played against um, South Africa as well. So yeah, and that was in Napier. That was my home ground at McLean um, Park.
0: Yeah, so... And, and then following that, you made the touring party for the New Zealand Test Squad for a series to be played in India in 2012. And that's, uh, you know... If I'm not mistaken, me and Malik, again, uh, Sai were talking about it and he said, you have a chance of playing the Test. And I believe one of the Tests was in Hyderabad. Is it true?
1: Yeah, yes. there's a 2 Test series and I was named in it. Um, I... Um, it was in Hyderabad and then Bangalore. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite cool. It was a bit of a homecoming in many ways. Were um, you,
0: do, you, do you look back at that as a missed opportunity or regret? I'm sure it would have been huge to play in front of the, in in your home city, you know, the guys and friends and family, whoever was there you grew up with and then represent your, you know, adopted, you know, country. So do you look back at that missed
1: opportunity? Yeah, Oh, yeah, I think I look back at my whole international career and always like being a sports person you kinda you're trained to think a certain way and everything is going, Oh, what instead of playing the blame game it's talking, hang on, where where could I have gone wrong? What could I have done better to give myself a better chance? And then you kinda chop it up further and further and go, Okay, well, why did I do that? What 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 could I have done better if I'd redid it again? You know, so yes, absolutely. Because um, my favourite cricketers were in it. Uh, you know, Dhoni was playing. Not that he was my favourite, but Sehwag was still playing. Tendulkar was playing. Kohli was playing. Lakshman had just retired to make way for Kohli, I think. Yes, in 2012, he just retired.
0: Dravid uh, had retired a couple of months ago. I remember.
1: Yeah, um, but Tendulkar, Sehwag, Kohli, um, I. I ended up running the drinks, and I want to say Kohli batted at three, and the game started. Obviously, Steve started started the way he starts, and there were India was on plenty after not many overs, and then he got out for thirty or forty odd something along those lines. And then I remember one of our I ran the drinks out, and somebody said, "Oh, now we can go back to playing text cricket." Thank God. Um, so that started, and then I ran the next drinks out when the second wicket fell. And I, I couldn't understand the cheer, or what was going on when the second wicket fell. And I thought, oh, why are they cheering? <laughs> then I look up, and you see the pretty much the the trademark um, body language that I have seen all of my cricketing life is the bloke coming down the steps, head down, then looks up, and it's Tendoka coming out to bat, and. To this day, I don't think I'll ever forget that feeling of being on the ground and the whole stadium cheering Tendorka coming out to bat.
0: So how does the, you know, because India is huge, you know, has been the epicenter of cricket for more than two decades now, hosts the IPL and some of the biggest global superstars. So what's the, what is that opportunity viewed from the perspective of a a New Zealand team? How big is that of a challenge? Uh, Do they love absolutely going there, playing in front of these big crowds? So just talk about that culture uh, or the mindset from the New Zealand team. You know how they see, you know, the tour to India.
1: Ah, uh, look, I I have not been part of the New Zealand setup since that in my year, so I couldn't speak of them. You know, it wouldn't be right for me to speak how they see it now, but watching it from a distance, and then you'd always think, look, India is the marquee series. Um, that is your flagship tournament. You know, that's where, that's your shop window. If whatever you have to sell, that's where you've got to exhibit your goods on and off the field so they see you as a viable candidate to be picked up. If you see yourself as a commodity, and that is your shop window, any series that's against India... Irrespective that, of
0: white ball or red ball or both?
1: I think irrespective. Because if you look back to how IPL was running a few years ago, especially when it was just money thrown around performances, Ishan Sharma rattled Ricky Ponting. In one series picks up for seven hundred and fifty odd and goes to Calcutta Night Riders. That was in a test match. A year year or two later, Kimai Roach does exactly the same to Ponting, goes for seven hundred or undisclosed amount to Hyderabad. And then once they get there, they go and get tens and twelves and over. So I think India at the time had an obsession with test cricket, test performances. But so for our lot, we um, playing against India, performing against India was all that more heightened in many ways because, unlike Australia or natwest uh, English domestic T20, our domestic T20s weren't live into India, so our domestic players never really got to catch the eye of the scouts or selectors or the business owners involved in IPL. So we we were always hamstrung with that. Uh, okay, so like, go ahead. Yeah. The, was a big thing playing against india or playing internationally and performing internationally was the only way you could get indians to take notice of you because our domestic cricket was not live into india until maybe the last two years um of my playing uh days hmm. so
0: let's stick to your playing days and you know like we went to domestic cricket in new zealand uh, with your leg spin you think your strength was the longer format like the red ball cricket or you Adapted really quickly, or, or do you have a preference of the two two formats?
1: I I started off playing in my first year. I only played um, four day cricket, four day cricket, which is red ball cricket. And in my second year, I really wanted to try and crack the white ball team, and I couldn't. And I heard a couple of people just through the grapevine that oh, I bowled too slow through the air, or something along those lines. So I made a I moved states, so I moved um, franchises and I moved to another um, central North Island um, team called Central Stags, where um, the player the captain at the time was um, a black cap at the time uh, called uh, Jamie Howe, who I happened to have bowled really well to in the previous season. so when he'd, um, when I'd reached out to him, said, "Look, I'm looking for an opportunity," they gave me a contract straight away and i went down with a focus of trying to break into the domestic one day team so i pretty much targeted white ball format i wanted to play it and i've molded my entire playing style to suit bowling especially to suit um white ball cricket in the end my white ball statistics probably outshine my red ball ones by a long shot
0: now this is purely a fans question and it's probably a you know a narrative question that's just played cricket for the last decade and a half. Each decade thinks the previous decade was harder, at least, you know, from fans. You know we've seen better cricket, but as a professional bowler, uh, do you and your, and, and professional in your community believe that uh, in the last decade or so, or even more, the trajectory of the game has totally favored the batsmen. You know, this could be the case even in the days of Imran and Kapil, but now more than ever with the bats getting heavy outfields fast, uh, and even a T20 game, it's all about sixes and, you know, big hits, you know, big totals. Where does a baller fit in? Of course, you know, bowler has to take wickets or do damage control. But what, what does a professional bowler's mindset, in your experience, feel? Has the game short-chained the baller in the last, you know, in the last decade or so?
1: Oh, I, th- I, I really thought the two new balls thing that came about a few years ago, I thought that was going to be um, to the detriment of spin bowlers. Because all that was giving was the batter's two nicer balls to hit for a longer period of time. It took away slow balls and reverse swing. But, I mean, to come back to your question, what it really did, in my opinion, is it highlights how adaptable humans are. Once you place the role in place, you know, there's no fighting about it. You literally just work your way around it. It's, you um, adapt and change to conform to what is required to get the job done and change your way of playing. That's where the greats, I think, you know, the the top-end performers are really able to change the game, their game to suit the needs of that wicket or that style. And that separates the top players from the rest, in my opinion. And so, yeah, I, I it got challenging, but it wasn't impossible. Um, your mindset had to change. You went from Attacking no longer meant wicket taking attacking probably became dot ball specialist attacking in some situations became well, If I go for one in this situation, that's very attacking because it's going to put pressure on the Batters later on down the track. So your mindset that shifted but it didn't really throw off um, The bowlers too much especially spinners if you've ever been to New Zealand you'll see the size of our grounds and how tiny they are so we are, pushing, we are playing an uphill battle anyway, so it didn't really matter.
0: Uh, fair enough. So let's weigh in on you know, your neighbouring country, Australia. Uh, from, for the longest of time, and you know, fans like myself think New Zealand Australia has a special rivalry. So you said India was a big show where you have to put out your goods, but how is uh, performing against Australia seen? Is it more like a national pride? Is it like the biggest rivalry for New Zealand? Talk about that from a Black Caps perspective.
1: Um, I think yeah, obviously Australia, they you know, the closeness of the countries to now close their work, it's like, and you get the feeling it's like they are the bigger brothers when it comes to decision making, etc. So, you obviously always want to beat your big brother, so that rivalry is there. But you'll see more and more that the black caps they, they're, they're the lovable bunch for a reason, so they literally now they play it as if they are the big brothers. We haven't won there a lot, so going there with our best, supposedly our best team ever, we had high hopes of playing against them, and obviously that didn't work in our favour last year in those um, 3 match series. But you can't discount the, um, the rivalry with New Zealand and England for obvious reasons, but um, uh, we've Few years ago we even had a referendum about changing our flag you know and we, we carried the union jack on our flag so there's that rivalry with england then you've also got the rivalry with south africa which is probably born out of rugby and yeah. the common theme is all these countries also rugby playing countries so it almost kind of spills over
0: That's where the name Black Caps come from, right? Because for the longest time when I followed cricket, New Zealand team wasn't called the Black
1: Caps. Yeah, so we have a, I suppose it's a cultural thing in New Zealand where every national team has a name. You know, your basketball team are the Tall Blacks and, you know, our soccer team are called the All Whites because they're playing white clothing. Um, Silver Ferns, White Ferns. So it's, so it's a connection to the country as opposed to just being called the national team.
0: Okay, so let's move on to your stay with the the national team. You were part of the test squad. You played five ODIs, and you were in the mix. You know, for a few more series, you, at least. You know, every cricketer is as probable, so you were competing for those spots. So, what's the dress uh, change room culture with these guys? Like Ross Taylor, Williamson was pretty young, I think, when you made your debut. He was in the team. So talk about these guys. I mean, you know, they're seen as these real nice guys, world-class athletes. You know, nice guys do not, do not finish last. You know, all those things apply to them. Almost won the World Cup. Talk about some of these guys and the, the overall culture that exists uh, in that dress room. I know you were part of the dress room like seven years ago. But talk about, you know, what your memories are here.
1: Um, look, they're all amazing people. They're all really, really nice, down to it, human beings first and foremost. they just happen to be very good cricketers and i think that's probably will sum up my experience in the setup then the um brenda mccallum you know things that i learned in the little time that i got to spend rubbing shoulders with him will remain with me forever uh ross taylor same thing all these guys are fantastic human beings just genuine down-to-earth people first and foremost and then they put on their, you know, the black cap clothing, and they become transformed themselves into cricket players. They, what you see with them on the cricket field is exactly how they are on the off the field as well.
0: Any any story you want to share that's inspirational or funny or something small form of humility, because that's what these podcasts are. Uh, if you can, for, for any player, I mean, because that's what the audience you know tunes in and you know the stuff we don't read about or hear about.
1: Yeah, look, um, I think the thing that I took away was um, uh, Ross Taylor was injured, so Brendan McCullum was actually captaining the South African series. And he, I, I think I was, yeah, I must have been playing that one, um, that game. And um, he just, and when we got a wicket, he talked about, I'm, I can't remember the whole game situation, but we obviously our, energy levels must have been going up and down based on the wickets or how far up the opposition was getting. And then if we get a wicket, if our energy levels were going up. And I basically, he basically suggested no matter what happens, winning or losing, if you're on top or if you're behind, your body language and your emotional state has to always be hugging the equilibrium. And that way you disconnect yourself from being caught up in riding the wave you just going through doing the processes correctly and that and I from the that really helped my cricket because beyond that from 2012 onwards my statistics actually are much better than they were pre-2012 or 2014 and i would pretty much credit it down to what i had learned from um, the time that I was in the Black Cats. And these are the little intangibles that can't get coached. They just come through the greats. Yeah, it's, be-
0: it's very interesting because what you said, and it just shows to me, and I'm sure anyone who's going to listen, that, you know, someone like you, who's given all his life to hone a craft, and then, you know, your day comes, you play for, you know, your desired national team. And then, you know, small detail like that, you know, can, can not alter, but can, you know, add to your, to your demeanor as a cricketer and, you know, your, your character. And that's, uh, and that's wonderful. Uh, even your cousin, again, we talk a lot about this and he said, he's hung out. I think he attended your wedding, he hung out with some of your black cap mates and he said, you know, most of these guys were international cricketers, but you know, they were so down to earth. There was no air of stardom and, uh, uh, he even said there's a funny story like, you know, uh, you guys went and a, for, to to an establishment where IDs were needed, and one of the guys didn't have his IDs. And he said, Sakev, imagine if an Indian guy, Indian cricketer, is not allowed to enter an establishment because the first thing he's going to say, don't you know who I am? And he said, that was the most refreshing thing that nothing like that happened, and nobody's trying to pull their weight to get it. Yeah. No, I, yeah,
1: actually, I you totally forgot about that. We were going to the casino. Yeah, and uh, somebody didn't have it. Yeah, and this person is now a current international. He didn't have his ID, and we basically got told to turn around and go back. Yeah, Um, I I couldn't
0: couldn't imagine that happening, you know, at any of the pubs in India. I mean, no names, but (laughs) I mean, we both are Indians, you know, from our nationality. But yeah, Uh, this is, I think, so amazing about the New Zealand guys. And I think even in in said like, the hardest thing was after the tied World Cup final that England won that uh, Kane Williamson was having a beer with him. He said, I didn't even know we were buddies. I do not know how to react because I have got the biggest win of my life and this guy just lost, the, had the biggest heartbreak of his life and here we are after a game having a beer. So I guess it kind of uh, proves your point that what uh, you learned from Taylor and those guys that, you know, win or lose, keep your composure on and off the field.
1: Yeah. Many of those guys that Malik met, um... um back in 2012 actually have gone on to become some very high-end cricket players now playing for the national team and traveling the world and doing their thing. And what doesn't change is I recently went to a... Um, they don't change. They have not changed. Um, I recently went to um, a wedding. My wife and I, we went to a wedding of a um, current um, player and they were all there. So seven years on, I obviously I run into some of the players when I play against them, but not necessarily on a social setting when they play for other teams, but when I saw them, nothing changes. Their personalities haven't changed. You know, they there's a few more zeros next to their bank balance, but the people that they are and the silliness that they, be, the way they behave and the, the exactly the people they used to be as kids prior to making all the money, they are still the same people.
0: And that's wonderful to hear, honestly, because that's uh that's how we, you know, measure greatness. You know, it's always uh, people o- often don't get too many points for humility. That's why the Draves and tendulkars are so, you know, uh, so 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 badly missed because uh, a lot of time what goes around the swagger and the brashness and you know like the aggression is good, but uh, you, you do hear stories about superstars. Of course, uh, success. Uh, you know, the, everyone has earned their success, but these these are good stories to hear from the New Zealand perspective. That some of these big names are, you know, haven't forgotten their roots and they stay consistent. So
1: not just the cricket though. Like we um where I live is a um quite a central um suburb and where you know you see walking around, you literally will see all blacks walking down the street and people won't bother them. People will um stop and ask for a photo or a selfie or whatever that may be. These guys will politely see you know do what they have to do, and then they'll go about their business. There's never any issue. The only way you can tell that they're an all black is literally by their frame and they just look like prime athletes, other than that, you couldn't tell them the way their their body language their their demeanor you'll just think they're just another person going to the grocery store store
0: oh, that's wonderful so on, on on the cricket note, I have another question I wanted to you know get get in here one of the uh, members of our Cricket and Accent team, Sanket Singhbal. He wanted me to ask you this. Uh, uh, he's, he's an Australian diehard fan, so he wanted to put this question. Uh, During your watch, has the domestic system in New Zealand uh, really improved because the surge in the quality of players coming through their system over the last few years, according to Sanket, is better than Australia. I don't know if you agree, but he thinks. And the other one he wants to know is New Zealand also produces... Best all-conditioned teams in the world right now, and uh, are the pitches in the Plunket Shield, etc. You know, attributing to uh, you know the final outfit that we see competing at the world level. It's a three-way question. Uh, Take it as we, you know, whichever way you want to tackle it first. Yeah.
1: Now, I think I look. I've I've kind of argued both ways, and I, yeah, I am. Um, I personally think there was a time. So, if we break it down, right? If we there's a time, I think, maybe Lyon was... Okay, let's take Nathan Lyon aside. You put him aside, and you look at the Australian spin stocks. We could possibly say we have a better spin stock than them with Ace Sodi, and people will argue about Mitchell Santner's one bad series. Mitchell Santner, world-class. He is quality white ball cricketer. Ace Sodi, his numbers speak for himself. Ajaz Patel, what he's done in subcontinent, not many... Um, spinners from European teams have done so, Um, then, you know, so our spin stocks are awesome. Um, So, you know, what I would say, our planning, our high performance program is probably a lot stronger or better prepared. It's again that um, me going back to saying, oh, we don't have to be better than you. We just need to beat you on the day. It's about picking the right people understanding the style of play you want to play and filling those 11 spots with people that are most likely to deliver those roles as opposed to picking the best 11 players. Does this, does
0: this observation also account for the New Zealand quicks and the batsmen compared to Australia if we are using that comparison?
1: Um, you're, you are As a player, you're a bit of a... Um, you're made out of your own elements, right? You know your elements around you dictate who you become. Our wickets aren't quick enough, but they're they're very challenging. So it kind if you put us on a real pacey wicket, we might be a bit difficult for us because we're just not used to it. Um, but our eight the players coming through again they're strategically identifying because we don't have a whole lot of money. We can't go on. A series after A series, like India, Australia, and England tend to do. They take shadow series everywhere. So our our high performance team must be credited because they seem to pick people with the right attributes, like Tom Blundell getting a hundred on debut, a keeper who's put into open the batting, um, and then giving them the right opportunity. It's almost picking the people and get, setting them up for success, not for failure. And they they're doing it really strategically, like um Glenn Phillips came into the side, young guy. Um, Will Young, he would have been there. All these guys I can see having immediate success at the next level and not necessarily having to take their time because they are identifying them early, investing in them, and then giving them the opportunities at the right times. So it's a high performance program, I think, should be credited. Do, do you uh, do you
0: still think, uh, with what you just said, that uh, white ball cricket... Uh, okay, uh, let me rephrase this question. For a young cricketer, you think white ball cricket is the best place to debut, or someone who is young should be debuting in test cricket, or it, it all depends on the person's ability, because uh, the parameters that uh, the kind of gauge the greatness have changed. And a lot of times we used to see Asian teams, especially India and Pakistan, having these... Younger players coming into the test, test arena. What's your view on that, uh, and how does that uh, stack up for New Zealand debutants? Uh, is there a thought process for putting them first uh, at international?
1: So, uh, if you take for example, um, Lockie Ferguson, um, bef- prior to him making his New Zealand debut, what format, of the three formats, do you reckon he had the greatest success in domestic cricket?
0: Uh, I'll take a guess. Red ball?
1: Yeah. Unbelievable red ball stats. Literally fifers coming out of everywhere. Right? However, he then got picked into the white ball thing, uh, one day team. And we were, as players, we go, oh, hang on. But it's, it's his red ball. They're picking him in the wrong format. They're picking him in the wrong format. But he's the selectors proved. The doubt is wrong because he's had immense success as a white ball cricketer. And in fact, he's just been so unfortunate when he made that debut he actually had to come off for through injury. So no, so they obviously saw something very early on. So um what I'm trying saying is again it comes down to the individual and the selectors, we've got to kind of go hang on. They they're in that job for a reason, the high performance team and that we have to kind of back it as a country, and I think we do tend to do that really well. It's I think it's a demanding thing to debut somebody in test cricket unless they have had immense success at a domestic level and at a A-team level before they get into test team. Otherwise, I think one-day cricket is a really good place to debut players if you want to transition them into the test side. Otherwise, you can start them from T20s and into the test side into the one-day side.
0: Okay, a couple more questions before we wrap this up. So India was just there, lost two-zero in the Test matches. I'm, you know, uh, old school. Uh, I enjoy all forms of cricket, but Test cricket is my favorite. So uh, when New Zealand and England were playing, you know, around the... Uh, I guess they were playing around the Boxing Day time. And uh, yeah. me and a bunch of my friends were talking that India's coming. It's going to be a big series. India's been dominant. At home so they go to New Zealand yeah. never won there so one of my friends again Sanket said no but uh, when India comes you won't get the same pitches they are feeding England uh, so and that's what happened you know when India visited we got like green tops and the ball was swinging and it was fun to watch when I wish India could have put on a better fight but it was fun to watch them tested and uh, yeah for a change Kohli had a bad series That that could have been the difference but so, so talk about that from that perspective right now, using that two-series example. Everywhere in the world, uh, the home team, you know, tosses become so important, and then you add in the conditions, and the conditions are also tailored uh, for each opponent. You know, India gets their way when teams are visiting India. England has, you know, uh, grass. South Africa has bounce. So how, is, yeah. how does that leave... Time for a professional test team to prepare for these conditions because everywhere you see, test matches get there are no draws anymore. Teams don't know how to draw test matches.
1: Uh, yeah, because then you question um, how the impact of T Twenty cricket and are they not patient enough? Are they drawn into playing too many shots too quickly? Um, you know, so you wonder why there aren't so many draws anymore and the desire to want to give. It's an entertainment package, right? So they want to give people results. Nobody wants to watch five days and then have a draw. So are they playing on more and more lively wickets because they want to avoid playing playing out draws? So there's a raft of things. But if you go back to this series against um, the comparative between the English and the Indian series, again, I will go back to the same thing. It's about preparation, and it's about strategically placing teams in different um, venues and on different blocks, we have different types of soil, different soils behave differently. So there's so many elements and you strategically concoct a way to win against the tougher teams. It's just better preparation. And in fact, I look at the India tried its best to try and prepare for the series. They came on a shadow tour with the India A-team. They brought many of their test batsmen as well on their tour, right? So they played at venues where there was hardly any seam movement. And the guys like Mayank Agarwal and Prithvi Shaw and all of them picked up a lot of runs, which saw them get picked into the national team. And suddenly they're playing on wickets that are completely opposite to what they just played the A-Series on. And they're playing the exact same way that allowed them success. So you're standing there going, oh, cool, I'm going to play this way because I've just had success in New Zealand six weeks ago doing certain things. But the wickets you're now playing on at a national level completely different. And the standard of bowling has just been cranked up by however many notches as well. So it was a systematic way of <laughs> inflating the ego and then putting them at the main stage and then diffusing it. Because having, you had, India had what, three batsmen with less than 10 test matches under their belt playing? Yeah, that's correct. Shaw, bow, Punt.
0: Yep.
1: So, they, it's, yeah, they almost kind of forced their hand by playing them in some A series somewhere. It was really good batting conditions, let them play their Indian way and then brought them across to the New Zealand wickets and challenged their techniques. And that was always... New Zealand was always going to beat India here as long as New Zealand bowling held up.
0: All right, Saran. So we covered quite a lot. Before I let you go, just uh, talk about who has been your cricketing biggest influence. I mean, who's your favourite cricketer? I know that's a total fan question, but I wanted to take this opportunity to to unpack that as well.
1: Um, I've, a variety of people have kind of... Um, you know, i i've tried to emulate um but i think the carefree my probably my favorite batsman will always have to be um of the modern era anyway would have to be say and um my favorite bowler believe it or not would have to be amit mishra i've basically tried to model my style of bowling around him having met him in 2008 on an emerging Players series and from then on i've literally tried to be in my mind, I tried to replicate how he bowled, and I used to watch a lot of his videos on IPL and how he used to set people up, and I'd try and kind of play out those scenarios at my domestic level in my mind. So, yeah, Sevag and Amit Mishra probably my favorite cricketers.
0: All right, thanks for coming on the show. I really enjoyed this. I'm going to listen to this again while I edit, and uh, there's a lot of fine points uh, that, you, that you disclose for, for the listeners here. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed it too. I tried my best to do some questions to keep you engaged, and then uh, uh, we should uh, plan to do the fan episode with uh, your cousin. And you know, maybe I'll bring another friend, and then we can compare uh, growing up in India in the '80s and '90s. You know, and idolizing cricket players.
1: Sure. Now, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's been enjoyable. I always like talking cricket. So again, thank you for giving me the opportunity.